effect. I love that term. It's the difference between what people tell pollsters and what they actually do. (laughs) According to a couple of sociologists who inventoried the hard data on actually recorded church attendance, the numbers dropped from 47% to about 18%. Now, research by Tom Rayner, a church growth specialist, confirms that churches aren't doing very well. He found only 6% of churches in America are growing and 94% are losing ground. Apparently, believers are not heeding the admonition from Hebrews. Let us hold fast that confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good needs, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. Now, those words were obviously written because then as now, some are forsaking the assembling together of God's people. And that shouldn't surprise us. Jesus taught in the parable of the sower that many of those who hear the word and even accept it will fall away. Some never get the weeds out of their life. And as the word of God takes root and begins to grow, it is overtaken by the weeds. Others get off to a good start, but the roots don't go deep enough. And when problems arise, they wither. And I have to admit that many of the problems that lead to people abandoning the church come from expectations not being met by God or the church. You know, when God doesn't do as expected, some find their faith in His goodness withering away. And many become so disillusioned with the church that they dismiss it and cut themselves off from it. The writer of Hebrews warned us not to let that happen. He said we must not give up on God or the church. We must hold on to our faith in God and to our faith in the church. And even though some might find it hard to always hang on to their faith in the goodness of God, I've got a feeling that more hold on to their faith in Him than they do the church. The church is made up of people. And people will disappoint you. Even Christian people. The church is not perfect. And a quick read of the epistles makes it very evident that it never has been. But neither was the synagogue that predated it. God's people of all ages have had problems when they assemble. Yet they've always been instructed to do so. And in spite of its faults, The church is still the primary place God chooses to do His work. And much good 
can be accomplished when God's people assemble. In our text for today, we're going to see good being done when Jesus went to the synagogue. But as we will see, it also did cause some problems. Let's begin by taking a look at what should happen. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit, and she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands upon her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. Now, as you've noticed before, it was Jesus' custom to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Occasionally, he was asked to read the scriptures or to be a guest speaker. Other times, he simply listened to others and worshipped with those who had assembled. Sadly, however, that opportunity was coming to an end. Opposition from Jewish leaders would soon make it impossible for Jesus to worship in the synagogue. In fact, this is the last time Luke records Jesus being in a synagogue. But for now, he's there, teaching. And that's what should take place when God's people assembled. They should be taught God's word and his will for their life. The book of Acts tells us that the early Christians continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That's what they did when they assembled. And teaching was the first order of business. Well, that's what Jesus was doing on this occasion. He was teaching in the synagogue when he noticed a woman in obvious distress. Luke tells us <laughs> that's distress. That's my grandson, so I can pick on him. <laughs> well, Dr. Luke tells us that she was bent double and couldn't straighten up. He also diagnosed the cause of her problem. He said her sickness was caused by a spirit who had kept her from standing erect for 18 years. Now, it doesn't appear that she was actually possessed by a demonic spirit. She had simply been made sick by a spirit. And we do know from Job that Satan is able to make someone very sick. He covered Job with boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. Now, that's not to say that all sickness is caused by spirits, but to simply recognize the fact that some may be. And I don't think it's necessary for us to discern the spiritual nature of his sickness before it can be treated. Jesus did not say anything about a connection between her condition and a spirit before healing her. And he didn't address a demon, as he generally did when casting one out. He simply announced that she was freed from her sickness and laid his hands on her. And when he did... She was freed from 18 years of bondage. 
I think this pictures what should happen when God's people assemble. Now, I'm not suggesting that physical healings should be taking place. I'm convinced the day of miraculous sign gifts administered through the laying on of hands is over. But release from the bondage of sin should be taking place. As truth is proclaimed, forgiveness is offered, and the touch of Jesus is felt. And that should lead to what happened next in the synagogue. God was glorified. The woman began glorifying God, praising Him for His goodness and love and for her deliverance from the bondage of sin. That's what should be taking place as a result of our assembling together. And it does most of the time. But sadly, that's not all that happens. Whenever there's a victory over Satan, he's going to fight back. And he loves to fight in church. Years ago, I heard a little story about an evangelist who asked a congregation where they thought Satan was that night. Some offered the suggestion that he was in the pool hall or the tavern or the picture show. An elderly lady got it right. She said he was in church. (laughs) Apparently he was in the synagogue as well. Let's read on. And the synagogue official... Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the multitude in response, There are six days in which to work, in which work should be done. Therefore, come during them and get healed, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he was saying this, all his opponents were being humiliated. And the entire multitude was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by him. Well, instead of rejoicing over what had happened, the synagogue official was incensed. Now, he feigned righteous indignation over the fact that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. My guess, however, is that his indignation was personal in nature. He was annoyed that Jesus had done something he hadn't authorized. And he had graciously allowed Jesus to speak in his synagogue. But he had crossed the line. Jesus had done something out of the ordinary, something unplanned, and he didn't like it. Of course, he didn't say anything directly to Jesus about it. He did what offended people in church often do. He couched his criticism in spiritual language and made a veiled accusation about the impropriety of his act. He told the people if they wanted to be healed, the Sabbath wasn't the day to do it. There were six other days in the week, and they could come then, as if he could have healed them. He was totally blind to the fact that that God had acted and was getting 
the glory for it. The woman had glorified God. She didn't even glorify Jesus. She didn't glorify the one that this man had given his pulpit over to. He should have been thrilled at what was taking place, but he wasn't because he hadn't initiated it and he wasn't getting the credit for it. His veiled charge that Jesus had done something inappropriate on the Sabbath didn't make any sense at all. Rabbis work on the Sabbath like preachers work on Sundays today. I know some think that's the only day. We do work on Sundays. And Jesus was working. He'd been teaching. And all he had done out of the ordinary was announce that the woman was freed from her sickness and touch her. The Sabbath was a day for rest and worship, a day to slow down and see what God was doing. And God had acted in his synagogue, but he had missed it because of indignation and jealousy. Well, Jesus wasn't about to let his comments go unchallenged. He pointed out the hypocrisy of his actions. And when he said, you hypocrites, he was no doubt also addressing the Pharisees who were nodding their heads in agreement to what he had said. But even they would untie an ox or lead a donkey to water on the Sabbath. How could they object to a daughter of Abraham being freed from the bondage of sin on the Sabbath. Jesus was right, and they knew it. They were being hypocritical, but they wouldn't acknowledge it. The multitude in the synagogue, however, loved seeing the leadership humiliated. And they rejoiced over the glorious things Jesus was doing. But obviously not all was well in the synagogue. There were now hard feelings and divisions in the assembly of God's people. And what Jesus said next gives us a clue why it happened. Therefore, he was saying, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and threw into his own garden. And it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air nested in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of meal until all was leavened. Now, at first glance, these parables appear to have nothing to do with the situation Jesus was facing in the synagogue, nor do they seem to relate to what he was saying. And the traditional interpretation of them does not fit the context. The therefore, however, does tie them to what has been going on. And that forces us to reconsider the traditional view that these parables are simply pictures of growth in the kingdom of God. That the kingdom would start out small like a mustard seed, but would grow to encompass all nations. 
And it would affect the world silently, like leaven at work, changing the world. Now, those things are indeed true about the kingdom of God. But they may not be the point Jesus was making with the parables. He was facing conflict and division in the assembly of God's people. Is it possible that these parables explain why that was happening? Could the first parable picture the kingdom becoming something it was not intended to become? A huge organization that provides a place for unwanted birds to roost. I think that's possible. After all, birds are used to picture the evil one snatching away the seed in the parable of the sower. And mustard seeds wouldn't be sown in a garden to become trees to take over the garden, but to grow into herb bushes to provide seasonings. And might not the second parable picture the church being infiltrated by evil rather than a picture of its positive influence spreading throughout the world? After all, leaven is almost always used in Scripture to illustrate the permeating nature of evil, not as something good. The Israelites made certain no leaven was in the house when celebrating the Passover. Jesus told the disciples to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, and the Apostle Paul admonished the Corinthians for not cleansing out the leaven that was infecting the church with sinful behavior. If we interpret the parables as I've suggested, I think they fit the context very well. Jesus has been dealing with hypocrisy in the kingdom and problems caused by religious leaders. The parables illustrate the fact that not everyone in the assembly of God's people is really a part of his kingdom and that evil has infiltrated the church. This understanding, I think, is further supported by the fact that both of these parables follow the parable of the tares in Matthew's gospel. In that parable, Jesus makes it clear that the enemy has sown weeds in his field and that they will be there until he comes back and removes them. That explains why things are not always as they should be. In church, the church is not only made up of imperfect people, it can also become something God never intended it to be, inhabited by some who really do not belong there. It can become a huge religious structure with evil birds in its branches and an organization that is permeated with evil. Now, that is not to say that all churches will become like that illustrated in the parables. I'm convinced that if a church will strive more to be faithful than to grow and will make certain 
that it is under the oversight of godly elders who meet the qualifications outlined in Scripture, it can avoid most of the problems that make people disillusioned with the church. Having said that, however, the people of God will not be perfected until the Lord returns. So perfection should not be expected. And some will always look for an excuse to cut themselves off from the church. But we are admonished to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And in spite of its faults, the church is still the greatest organization on earth. Fantastic things do happen when God's people assemble. The gospel is proclaimed. God's will is made known. People are freed from the bondage of sin. And God is glorified. I would encourage you to accept the church as it is, remembering that Christ accepts you just as you are. Let's celebrate together.